you like it strong? Um, yeah, strong is good. What are you looking for? Nothing. Nothing. You're just rummaging around in a box for no reason. Not for no reason. I'm looking for something. Well, what are you looking for? Nothing. Everything has to be dropped. Everything. Everything. Totally. Totally let go. And the one who's letting go, well, that has to be let go too. Yeah, and who lets that one go, you know? So. <laughs> but it goes when it's got no reference point at all. So it's like you drop, 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 drop until there's no reference point at all. Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. This week, Areti speaks with Jackie O'Keefe. I was listening to some of your podcasts and you said that you actually started looking for answers in psychology and spent eight years in psychology and after that you realised that you weren't what you thought you were or something like that and it was almost like you were kind of implying that you got to the state of being observer, if you like, of your thoughts after the therapy. That's not very common for people to arrive at that after therapy, is it? After eight years of unpacking the I story, thinking that was all real, Yes, the position observer seemed to be well established after that because I suppose that the pointers that came from the therapists that I was seeing over that time, they used that skill and not knowing that it was aligning with the spiritual path, I'm sure it came from a psychological background. But for sure, there was a sense of talking about who you were not without using that language. And the more that I unpacked, the more that I saw, but I'm not that. And I only think like that because of that. So any thought that was ever perceived from that time and for the subsequent, whatever, 15 years, I guess, a habit had developed when it, a thought was noticed. It was like, so where did that come from? How come that got built up? And invariably, you can see that it's a learned pattern. It's just something that I would now say is a, a maybe a paradigm passing through consciousness, a thought that happens to be downloaded by a mind as long as it thinks it's subjective. But of course, once you see that they don't know separation and that there is no individual existing anywhere, nothing can exist at all, then thoughts pass through without them being noticed. So it very much helped in terms of being able to see what a thought was and automatically mind learned a new pattern. Instead of identification, it went into, hmm, how did that get built up? How come that one was believed? And so observer became finely tuned then in my 20s as a result of that. And it's funny because the pointers are everywhere. You know, it can be coined as non-dual, it can be pointed as neo-advice or whatever. But despite all the labeling, there's cracks everywhere. There are cracks everywhere. Just showing from wherever mind is at, wherever identification is at that, hey, look, you're not this, you're not this, you're not your anxiety. The worst thing about fear is the fear itself. You know, feel the fear and do it anyway. It's like it's coming from every sector, just tiny little snippets of pointing to an observing capacity. Yeah, to the falsehood of this idea of that we can actually identify who this me is with the mind, perhaps. Yes, yes. And it's a little bit of a catch-22, isn't it? Because in the world of therapy, it's all about making the eye wholesome and imagining that a phenomenal happiness is real and that it's lasting and that it's worth going for, which of course that's, you know, that's just the next lap to see that all of that is rubbish too.
was saying about how there's cracks in everything, really. There's no reality to this story that the mind tells of what you are. For some, they arrive at that point quite early on, um, and perhaps the role of, of psychology and therapeutic work helps to see this, that whatever system is presenting as real, there's always a crack in it. There's always some splinter of lack of reality or inauthenticity if the rightness is there to see it. If that maturing of mind, the, the spin-out of this pseudo-reality has begun. And so, you know, if you think about it, like no matter how many years of therapy you can attend, invariably that knowing comes, but sure, I'll never be fixed. I'll never be fixed simply because it can be seen that mind will always present more drama, more eye story, because all it's doing is creating itself. And so if that can be seen, that all mind is doing is restructuring, constructing another facet of an eye, it will keep rebuilding itself until that pattern is seen. So I suppose at one level, it's one thing to get to observe and to see, well, these are just thoughts. Actually, they've got nothing to do with an identity of anybody. They couldn't have anything to do with an identity. That that creation of identity is just a paradigm playing on top of that. And then with some more distance, one can often see the next paradigm that's playing is that mind will always present this. So therefore, thoughts don't have to stop. Believing in them, of course, would stop because they become totally implausible. They're completely just a ridiculousness. Even the most, you know, highly revered fear or, or belief system or anxiety or something that's totally gripping when identification is running, sure, it becomes hilarious. It becomes a pathetic effort of mind to imagine that it's something is worth taking to be real. So the whole thing becomes a joke, really, no matter how traumatic, you know, no matter how traumatic. And it's funny because even if identification is running strong, I've often asked this of people, you know, did you ever find that you were at, a, you know, a really sad situation, like um, a funeral or where a death was unexpected, and all you wanted to do was giggle? And people have often said, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to giggle. So very often, you know, if we follow that vein, well, what is that lightness underneath it all? What is this joke, you know, of where the phenomenal world just cannot be seen to be authentic? There's always a crack someplace. If that maturity is there to pull back or to pull away from or to lessen identification, of course it's not real, you know. Open the morning. Up in the morning, out on the road Yeah, my head is aching Yeah, my hands are cold And I'm looking for the silver lining Silver lining in the clouds And I'm searching for, and I'm searching for the philosopher's stone.
when you got to that stage where it was clear that you obviously weren't what you were thinking you were and then you said you just thought well that's it I really want to find out what's going on here so you isolated yourself so how long a period of an isolation did you spend and also is it necessary for us to I mean you can't generalize obviously as to what you do once you're at the observer stage Mm -hmm. because it all plays itself out and there's nobody doing anything so there's no pattern to how it actually comes to a point where that all of it falls away yes yes no there is no pattern and thank heaven because then you know there'd be no exploration there would be no journey the phenomenal world would end the moment that you hit the first advice uh, piece of information you know <laughs> and the whole thing would be it's okay okay i'll just press the exit button beam me up scotty the show's over and hey you know the unraveling is part of the fun too you know just the unfolding and the realization that's what the phenomenal world has to offer in this movie so you know enjoy the movie while you think there's somebody there to enjoy it why not you know there's no denial going on here you know of the potential fun even if it is not real not good enough and in a dream hey enjoy it anyway you know, it's all of manifestation is one big joke and the capacity to enjoy it happens in consciousness. It's not enjoyed by anybody. But to deny it, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. It's like embracing it all. Embracing it all happens in consciousness. So wanting to be me up Scotty and just have one path and one way out of it, it just wouldn't make any sense at all. So, you know, it's funny you can say the same thing at a satsang sitting. 20,000 times and you know one person hears it and they've been coming for a year and then they're like oh you never said that before and it's like oh dear you know (laughs) you know it's been repeated and repeated and repeated and there's something beautiful in that in the timing of how consciousness embraces linear time and there will only be a popping or a revelation or a big crack in the matrix when consciousness is doing it pointing yet again to the fact that, you know, you can't do this. It's not going to satsang that made this opening happen either. But as long as there's an eye there, the eye will claim that, well, yeah, I went to satsang and I saw this from such and such a teacher. And it's like, what a load of crap. Do you know, it's nothing to do with anything phenomenal. Nothing, nothing. It's just an organic flow that doesn't take the eye into consideration at all because that's completely superimposed upon this movement, which isn't real anyway. There's layers and layers and layers to this magical big lie, you know. A lot of the people that we've spoken to are always pointing to the fact that you aren't the body and you aren't the mind, but you do something a little bit different, and that's that you kind of dissect thought in a way, and you make people be more mindful and observant of the layers of thought, and you were saying about how there's one layer of thought, and then there's another layer of thought, and so you've got this one thought, and then you've got a thought on top of it that's saying, I don't want this thought. So how do you get people to observe or be mindful of these layerings? I suppose, you know, in the Jack story, like when Jack thought there was a Jack or when that idea of Jack was running through consciousness, whatever language we put in it, it's always going to fall short anyway. But 
between, I suppose, the years of therapy and moving away and dropping everything and going into isolation, um, I got caught in that new age movement of working with energy and working with other dimensions and... I totally got sucked into that for a few years. And at that time, certain cities developed. You know, I could see chakras, I can see all that stuff, you know, past lives, auras, and all. You know, it was just open in front of me, and I could see, ah, oh, yeah, you're thinking this because this was believed, and this experience happened, and whether it was in this era or another era, it didn't matter. It was all just a layer of thoughts. And so some capacity seemed to develop to be able to see how the structure took place. And I suppose those who seem to find some link to discovering who they are not are attracted to that way of working. Um, for some, you know, if they're caught up in the story of identification to say that, well, there is nothing. Of course you are nothing. Of course this isn't real. And just to have that presented, it's like, yeah, fine, but it's at a theoretical level and there's no window open. There's no crack into that understanding. It just remains as a concept. You, you know, we see copious emails from people saying, I'm 30 years attending satsang and for the first time I'm beginning to understand that there's something I have to do between what I know theoretically and what is running as real here. So it's like, oh, but sure, that's dead easy. That's just energy work or whatever way we can call it. That's just understanding the unraveling of the structure of thought, of the constructs within consciousness. So when Jack does that work, there are those pointers looking at layer and a layer and a layer. So then if I do go into the energetic model just now to explain it, it's almost like, it's like there's veils. It's like there's veils or like net curtains, you know, like a thin gauze in the energy field, which breaks down totally when the eye is seen through. It's like there's a film, a series of films, which are thought forms that are believed to be true, that there is no objectivity in them. So it's like consciousness runs these films and they get attracted to the energetic field, which is around what we call a human being. And in these layers, there is no distance because this lens is there. And so the world is perceived through this. So the objective perception of seeing that it's totally not real, that perception cannot be running because the lens is like in the eye socket. And that's when identification is running. And so when Jack is sitting with somebody like this, it's the lens is just in front of me. And all I can do is see, but there's a lens here. And I'll talk about the lens, not using that term, but it's just a belief structure that has plugged in um, and has the authentic authenticity of appearing as real. So it, these layers, as they crack and they're seen to be through, a clarity comes. So it's interesting that we use the words, you know, also oh, and so was very clear or energetically sitting close to them. There was some kind of a lifting going on. Yeah, because there isn't those films, the phenomenal film, which is this construct of thought believed to be true. It has an energetic component. And that's what I hit up against in talking to somebody. So, of course, the deconstruction of that makes a lot more sense because Jack can sit at the other side of that firm and just talk about that which is beyond. And the person just is like, yeah, 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 fine, but we've no point of contact here. And there is no point of contact there. So that's where that methodology has grown from. You are listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. Our guest is Jackie O'Keefe.
use that kind of that that approach to bring people to the point of at least being observant of the mind, as in being observer of the mind. That's right. That's exactly it. It brings you to the position of whatever I'm thinking, it's a lens, it's a firm, it's outside of, of what I really am. And then they can do the work themselves. Then they can, okay, okay, so I'm never my thoughts. Okay, now, now, only now, the question of, well, then, who am I? Well, then, what is real if my thoughts cannot be believed? Okay, now we're ready for the real non-dual stuff, you know? But it's, it's all part of it. I, I don't kind of divide it up so much like other speakers do, you know? in terms of to deconstruct thought is not a non-dual approach, you know, because that's often said that, oh, no, the non-dual perspective, it always hovers around the who am I question. Mm. And it's like, well, actually, it's not limited at all. How could it be limited? How could it be? There's just an unfolding in consciousness and to label and to box non-dual. That's a dualistic approach again. It's like the paradoxes are hot and heavy at this point in time. actually use silent retreats in your way of guiding people to this? Yeah, there would always be a preference for silence. There would always be a preference for silence because that's where most things can be seen once there are, I suppose, once there is a certain maturity on the path or in a participant's own journey. Once there is that ability to observe, take responsibility and know that nothing phenomenal is real, nothing. If that point has been reached, then silence is the best guide of all. Of course it is, because there is space for that which you are not to arise. And so everything can be seen to be just what it is, just another thought. Even the idea of grace, grace itself is just a thought. It's also a construct of mind to give some relief or supposed phenomenal peace. You know, even that has to go. And so things like this show themselves, the fine refinement um, that, that, that mind can construct to pull one back into the illusion of the phenomenal world. These can be seen in silence. So when that space is created, it's like, yay, let's... You know, let's sit in that space and just forget about all of this talking because talking has its place, of course, but at a certain point, it must become obsolete. And so as it becomes obsolete, having the wisdom for one to see that, whoa, mind is just constructing something else to talk about in order to keep the show going, in order for another distraction just to reconstruct itself. The question is, when is speaking deconstructing the thought paradigms that are believed to be true? And when is speech rebuilding? more thought paradigm and uh, presenting another distraction and this wisdom must kick in you said something else too about being brutally honest with yourself because there are a lot of people that go into that silence and detachment that kind of mindlessness but there's still a really strong sense of me and they actually haven't shifted to that observer stage they're not being honest with themselves so they're sort of saying yeah. um, they're observing but actually they're still very very strongly attached to what's going on how can you know that you actually are observing and you aren't still engaging you know how might somebody examine for themselves whether they are being true or not yes i think there are two criteria one is that 
whatever thought is observed when one is observing, whatever thought is observed, it will not have an emotional charge at all. It cannot have an emotional charge. There will be no rush. There will be no heat built up, just no charge at all in the body, in the mind, in no reactive thought to any thought. And the second thing is there will be no judgment of any sort. In observer, the labeling is beginning to break down. And so the diversity, which is rooted in judgment, seeing that the door is different from the chair. Okay, we see that the door is different from the chair. Fine. Now, if we're seeing that the dustbin is different to the wall behind the dustbin, there might be a, well, I don't like the dustbin, and if I could hide that now, wouldn't that be much better? Okay, now we've got a, it's not two benign objects, like the chair and the door. We've got the wall and the dustbin, but if I could hide the dustbin, if we've got a preference in there, if there's any type of a judgment in what is observed, then there is no honesty. That is mind presenting the idea of observing, but mind is playing. Identification aspect of mind is playing at observing. If there's a hint of a judgment, if there's a hint of that, because judgment is where labeling has gotten rooted into a subjective perspective. So the the position of observer is where labeling has started to deconstruct itself. And so recognizing that there will be no judgment in the recognition of observer mode is held. Now, it's fine one can be in isolation and yeah, I'm just observing all thoughts are observed. It's like, yeah, fine, but you know, go into a busy street and get a nine to five job and whatever. Mind somebody's kids if you don't have kids yourself for a weekend and then see if you're still in observer. Um, And that's the test because to avoid life is fine while you're practicing observer, but if it cannot be tested, then it's rubbish. It's rubbish. It's no good. You know, the observer position must be so solid that whatever mind presents, it cannot pull you back into identification, pull you back into any kind of judgment or running commentary. There is no commentary in observer. There is no commentary running at all. There's still thoughts arising as observer. Yeah, they pass through. But the thoughts that have a commentary of good and bad, that value judgment is too dense. That's where mind is playing at observer. Observation doesn't have any comments because there's an equanimity about all thoughts coming in, beginning there. Now, the feeling of the emotion can still be there if it is seen that the emotion is not yours. The moment of identification is when there is the idea, I don't want this feeling to be here. I don't want this charge. That's when the I came in because the charge will still run through consciousness without an owner. But at one point... You've, you've got, okay, to establish observer, there's got to be no charge. Some capacity of seeing thoughts without charge must establish. Now, after that, a charge can return, but it's not yours because there is an allowance for all things. Because at that point, then the desire for anything to be different has gone because the charge isn't anybody's. These are the subtleties that people so often miss. If observer is well established, the next step is now we go after desire. Wherever there is a desire to change what is, wherever there is a preference for one thought and not another thought, one experience, not another experience, like to go a certain way, go after desires. And wherever the desire is, that is where identification is running. So from observer, 
If observer is established, the next step is to start watching desires. Just watch, can you? Well, watch it and drop it. If you watch it in observer zone, it is dropped. Yes. But if you're watching it without self-honesty, well, then you'll watch it, but you kind of put it in your back pocket, you know? Yeah, that desire is just running through consciousness. So that's fine. That's not me. And it's like, baloney, baloney, drop it, and you'll know if it's you or not. In dropping desire, if there's a bit of, oh, I'm missing something, it's like, hey, there we go. That's worth unpacking. You're not an observer now either because you're lamenting the loss of a desire or there's a feeling that I'm missing something and it's like, yeah, yeah, this is identification full on. You see, so every desire must be dropped with absolute indifference. Okay, now that's the step after observer. And the eye can play at that position of being indifferent. Also, you know, the eye will use oh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. And it stinks, you know. You know it stinks, you know. <laughs> nothing to lose and gain so the whole thing is a joke you know it's a joke so being light in it take that light position and if that alone you know can be a spiritual practice just be light about it all that can be the only thing that makes sense to somebody too until they see that the eye is playing at being light and it gets a bit deeper but it can have its place and ultimately of course there's nothing to lose or gain so the whole thing is just dreamt up Each of these little practices need to eventually be dropped because in the end what we're looking at is that silence that allows you to see what really is there, yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's all moving towards silence. Every technique, everything has to be dropped. Everything, everything, totally, totally let go. And the one who's letting go, well, that has to be let go too. Yeah, and who lets that one go, you know? So, (laughs) But it goes when it's got no reference point at all. So it's like you drop, 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 drop until there's no reference point at all. So the one who's doing the dropping even hasn't a reference point. Okay, that level of surrender. Okay, now we're going somewhere. You're going nowhere. You discover you never went anywhere and the whole thing was just your imagination. Because that's how the dualistic world is. You know, no pain, no gain. And it's like, well, there's nothing to gain here. Of course there's nothing to gain. You're just going to lose everything. And that's the end. That's the end. Like, there's nothing. There is nothing. It's for nothing. Yeah. yeah, but I want nothing. Oh, no, you don't want nothing. <laughs> don't the idea of nothing. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's a hoot.
Mindoorie Cafe is produced in Australia.